not the things of this earth, not the troubles of this world, but that you would be the focus of our lives. That we would not chase anything else. And Lord, you know what our wandering hearts are like. Lord, make this resolve on our lives to put you center, to make you first. Be our vision, we pray. Lord, as we open your word, may the words that come from it speak directly to our hearts. It's your breathed out word. And Lord, may you refocus our lives so that we would serve you with hearts that are made pure by Jesus Christ. And may we serve you with all the energy you give us so that we can be a blessing to those around us. We pray. Amen. Well, I'm really excited to be starting this uh, Old Testamental book. It's very much like Romans is in the New Testament where it teaches us how to live despite sin. Deuteronomy was teaching the Old Testamental believers the same thing. And so um, we're going to be looking at this exciting book. I don't know when last you read Deuteronomy. Um, it's not on the top hits of what people read today. Um, we tend to spend too much time in, I mean, not too much. We spend a lot of time in the New Testament, and rightly so. But also, in the same breath, we should be spending time with the whole Word of God. It's all given to us to bless us. And so, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands when you last read Deuteronomy, but at the end of the series, I am going to. And be honest before the Lord then. Because what I want to do is, and that's why I've given you this outline, is I'm going to give you what we're doing ahead of time so that you can look at the passages we're going to be considering for that specific Sunday. And so we're on week one to help you decipher this. Uh, introduction one to Deuteronomy, the when, where, and why. Next week I'm doing a second part of the, um, this whole introduction because there's quite a bit to get us set. And then Dave will start with week three, the sins of the fathers and the faithfulness of God. Um, and so you'll see there chapter one, verse one to 329. We can't read all of that in one service, but if you could please read those passages before the service so that if you want to get something out of this, you have to do that. And so I'd ask you to do that. Um, and let's do that homework before the Lord so that he can use these passages to speak to us. So that's basically the outline. So please don't throw them away. If you're a digital person, take a photo of it. Take a photo of the back and keep it on your phone, all right? No worries. Um, but let's keep this record so that we can work together. Then just on the back, and I'll say more about this next week, um, there's just Deuteronomy on a timeline to give you a little bit of an uh, idea of where the book fits into um, the old history. Um, you'll see the law codes are referred to there under 2200 BC. And I'll say something about that next week. And then also you'll see where the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph all fit into this. And then where Deuteronomy comes much later. If you see around about them, 1400 mark, just look down there, you'll see Moses' speeches in Moab. That's where we are now. 
But that's where it fits into the timeline. And I'm going to be saying something about that as well next week. All right. For this morning, I want us to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. And you're going to have to have your Bibles for the series. Um, you can't go on memory, I promise. So we're going to have to go into our Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 24 to 29. Deuteronomy 31, verse 24 to 29. I'm coming in at the end of the story. Sorry to give it away. When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, so who wrote the book? Moses, don't listen to the scholars. Scholars get it wrong. There it is. When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I'm yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, and I, that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. This is serious stuff. For I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you, because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. Now, it's not, it's not quite the speech you usually give at a farewell ceremony. But Moses does for a very good reason, and we'll see why. So the question we're going to look at through the whole of the book of Deuteronomy is this one. How do I live a life which pleases God? And in doing so, how do I bless my neighbor? That's the central theme of Deuteronomy. How do I live a life which pleases God? And in so doing, how do I bless my neighbor? You see, this is one of the central concerns Jesus also addressed. In the New Testament, in Luke chapter 10, which I'm going to read, Luke 10, verse 25 to 28. You want to turn there? Let's look at that. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 28. Here we have this interaction between a lawyer, someone who had studied religious law, and Jesus Christ. And he was trying to catch out Jesus, as they often did. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He was referring here specifically now to the book of Deuteronomy. And so what this lawyer quotes is straight from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 47. The lawyer replied, and he answered, You shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Now do this and you will live. There's the theme for us. 
And so that's the main theme of Deuteronomy that Moses is trying to get through to the people as well. How do you live a life before Yahweh, Almighty God, which will please Him, so that you will be a blessing to the nations around you? Who was Moses? He was Israel's great leader. The one they all looked up to. Both during the time that he lived and after. And he was also one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. Because a lot of what he said came true. So when did Moses speak these words? What's the occasion? Well, he spoke this law, as it's called. He uttered it and he wrote it down in a scroll shortly before his death. And that was approximately in the year 1406 BC. And then very much later in 1220, two parts were added to this law. The introduction... That was added in 1220, approximately. And also the epilogue, the section describing Moses' death, because surely, I mean, God could reveal to Moses, but Moses didn't write about that. Someone else added that. And that was way past the time of Joshua. This was written down, and then that was God's canon. So what was the occasion? Israel was camped at Moab in the wilderness, in the Arabah Desert, and they're on the eastern border, and I've got a map up there so you can have a bit of a look. They were on the eastern border of the land of Canaan, just north of the Dead Sea, and near to Mount Nebo. So that's fairly specific. And this was 40 years after the nation had set out from Egypt. So there was Israel after 40 years in the desert on a journey that would usually have taken them just 11 days. And they're about to try their second time to get into the promised land. So Moses gathers the people together and his sermon contains a few elements. First one is, it's a history of their wanderings and the lessons they can learn from them. You see, God had freed them from bondage in Egypt 40 years ago. Remember Pharaoh? Remember that hard-hearted man that God had hardened his heart to judge him? Remember the ten plagues? Remember the Passover, God's provision for his people, where he killed the firstborn and the livestock of all the people unless their homes had been covered by blood on the doorposts and on the lintels. Remember God's provision for them at the Red Sea, and that crossing in front of that army, the crossing that happened on dry land. Remember his provision for them during their travel in the desert, where he had given them manna and quail. Manna was something they'd never tasted before. It was the creative work of God in the desert. Remember his provision of water for them. And in a desert country, that water would have been extremely brack, nearly undrinkable, but God had made it sweet for them. Remember their sandals not wearing out for 40 years. Today, shoe companies would go out of business if that happened. And if you want to read more about that, go and read about that in the book of Exodus. When was the last time you read through that book? Well, Moses covers with them not just how God freed them from bondage, but also his covenant with them at Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 19 
verse 5 to 6 says this. And this is what God says to them. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possessions among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's God's promise to them. And so he gives them the Ten Commandments. And if you hear the word Decalogue, that's what it's referring to. The Ten Commandments. God's commandments for them on how to live before Him. And also the wider laws of how to worship Him. Remember the building of the Ark of the Covenant. God told them to build this Ark of the Covenant. And in it they were to put the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments on them as a reminder to them of His commands to them. And they are to build this tabernacle, the place of meeting where God would meet with His people. And then Moses recounts the golden calf and while he's receiving the law of God to the peop- from the peop- for the people, the people are in sin. They've taken all the riches given to them by the Egyptians and they've turned it into a god to worship, the golden calf. Moses reminds them of the renewed covenant God made with them at that time. That if they would only turn from their sin and come before Him and ask for forgiveness and have their sin accounted for by slaughtering of animals, then He would be their God to them. He reminds them of how they are to worship God. All those many rules, when you go and read through the book of Leviticus and Numbers, The main impression you get is there's so many rules. But that's the point, you see. God says to them, I want you to worship me in my way. And then Moses reminds them that instead of receiving the land God had promised them, Israel had doubted God. Remember the spies going into the land of Canaan and coming back with those horrific reports of the men who were like giants. And so, in fear, they rebel against Moses and against God. You can go and read about that in Numbers 14. And Moses reminds them that God judges them by not allowing any of that generation to enter Canaan. And so that's what had happened. For 40 years, they had to then remain in the desert until they'd learned the lessons God was wanting to teach them. Until that generation, everyone 20 and up, had died out. Because none of them were allowed to enter Canaan except for Caleb and Joshua, the faithful spies. And then Moses reminds them that he too disobeyed God at Meribah. When instead of speaking to the rock, in anger, he struck the rock. And I feel a bit sorry for Moses because the people drove him to it. But you see, God had to show that he couldn't excuse anyone's sin, not even Moses's. And so Moses is not allowed to enter Canaan. And then Moses reminds them that they started to worship the gods of the nations they encountered, even while he is still alive. And then he reminds them that this new generation of Israelites that are now following him are to be faithful to the Lord, because now they're at the cusp of entering the land again. 
And he pleads with them, his last plea to this new generation of Israel, to live in the light of all that God has taught them. So he reminds them of their history and their wanderings in the desert. But secondly, Deuteronomy is also a second law giving, and that's what the name Deuteronomy means. Second law giving. And these are not new laws that are being given, but old laws being applied. He's taking the Ten Commandments and he's giving the application. How will you live these out every day before the Lord? And what's the theme of this second part that he speaks about? He speaks about God's faithfulness, what God has done and will do for Israel. Not what Israel has done for God, because they were just faithless to him. So it's a call to obedience based on God's redemptive work to them in the past. It's not what Israel has done and will do for God, because they were just faithless to the Lord. But it's a call to obedience, and it's based on God's redemptive work in the past. It's based on what God has done for them. You see, God had looked after and nourished these people all through the years in the, in the desert. And there was no reason for God to do these things. Why did God do these things for them? Was it because they were such good people? No, they were faithless. God provided for them because of His unmerited and His great love. There's the word grace right, written right there in the Old Testament. They didn't do anything to deserve God's goodness to them. He was doing it from his heart as God. He was giving them and showing them his love. And so Moses calls the people to obedience based on what God has done for them and his goodness. Because he says to them, yes, you're going to be unable to obey him even after I've gone. And by the way, you're busy sinning now already and I'm still alive. But after I'm gone, you will still be unable to obey the Lord. But He will deliver you if you would only come to Him in repentance. There is His goodness to you, His grace to you in the future. There is an unshakable hope for the future, says Moses. Based on not what they would do, but God's faithfulness. And so this is an urgent message to His people. This is the last thing He's going to be saying to His people and then this 120-year-old man's going to die. What do you say when it's your last message to people? You give them the words you really want to say. And this is his plea with them. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Deuteronomy 30:19. Choose life so that the generations coming after you will also live. Why are you to do this? To, to, to save yourself from a predicament? No. Why are you to obey and to choose life? To please me, Moses? Well, that'd be nice, but no. It's just purely as a grateful response to this gracious God. You know, teenagers, when you go off to uni, and they're all off at uni now, so I'm speaking to no one. Anyway. Okay. When our those of you who've got kids growing up, all right? Teach them this. If they have a belief in Jesus Christ, if they have a personal relationship with Him, 
when they leave our homes, why are they to still keep to those things we've taught them? Why are they still to be in the Word? Why are they to live lives which still please God? Why? Is it so that we would be happy with them? Is it to save them from unnecessary pregnancies and all these other things that go with sinful living? No. It's out of grateful hearts for what Christ has done. You see, it's about them and God. It doesn't matter where they go then. Because as parents, we can't be there. But God is. And it's in a relationship that they need to be with God. And that's what we need to teach them. Exact same principle here from old man Moses. Thirdly, it's not just a reminder to his people of a second law giving, but it's also a farewell sermon. You see, he's 120 years old. God has revealed to him he's about to die. And for decades, he's been Israel's mediator to, between them and God. He's been their ruler. He's been their guide. He's been their judge. And now he pleads with him, please, my people, just do what God has taught you. It's the last of the five books of Moses. He wrote five books called the Pentateuch in Greek or the Torah, the law-giving Jewish um, tradition, the Torah or the Pentateuch. But fifthly, it's the largest it's the large millstone in the rest of history. And I want to just to outline something to you over here. You see this narrative starts way back in Genesis. And it points to a coming Messiah and then to the revelation to come. Back in Genesis, God made several promises to Abraham. He would have an abundant offspring. They would have a covenant relationship with God. And they would also inherit their own land. And this was to reflect the original promise held out to Adam Back in the garden. That's what I was speaking about while we were having communion. You see, when God created Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden, before the fall happened, they lived in perfect communion with God. Genesis 1 verse 28 says, God blessed them and said. That blessing was that agreement between them and God. We live together in harmony. And then, sin happened. And so later in history, God makes this covenant that He would be a holy God to a people who will be His holy people and He will take them to a holy place. And so what we're reading about in Deuteronomy is how that is going to work. But this covenant with Abraham would also point forward to God's future provision for Adam's failure. There comes a time which lies ahead of us when God has provided for all of mankind. And if we are in Him and He is in us, then we will once again live in perfect harmony with Him. A holy people with a holy God in a holy place. And there it is ahead of us. You see, like Adam, Israel ultimately chose death as predicted by Moses. He said, you're going to disobey and you're going to choose death. And as a result of that, you will get taken out of your land. The exile will happen. That's the punishment. Adam sinned, he was taken out of Eden. Israel sinned, taken out of Canaan. That's God's punishment. 
What happens to us? Are we yet in the heavens? No. We are living as believers in a world which is very sinful. But God is going to restore His kingdom. And we will live with Him forever. And so 1,500 years after these prophetic words of Moses, Jesus Christ obeyed God on our behalf. And He won for you and I, as Christ followers, the ultimate fulfillment of the promises to Abraham. We get eternal life. And that's where we fit into this larger picture of redemption. You get it? It's not just about them in Deuteronomy. It's about them and us. It applies to us. Sixthly, when Moses completed his writing of this law, he gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, with instructions to place it next to the Ark of the Covenant. Not inside, but next to the Ark of the Covenant. There's symbolism in there. You see, the Ark of the Covenant contained God's law for them. Placing this new, this, what, what do we call it here? Placing this, this law next to the Ark of the Covenant was showing this is a commentary on what God has already given you. This is how you live out what God has already given you. This is not above what God has given you. This is also inspired by God, but it's how to live His law in everyday life. And so He said to them, place it next to the Ark of the Covenant. And it will be a witness against the people about their constant rebelliousness and stubbornness before me. You see, what God was saying is, through Moses, I've warned you, there will be no excuse. I've given you my law, I've explained my law to you, and I've said, do it. There's no excuse. And so, as a reminder, the people were to be assembled every seventh year. And this law was to be read to them, the whole of the book of Deuteronomy, in one standing. They had to stand. We should do that. It was to be a witness against the people and their rebelliousness. And it didn't end there. All future kings of Israel had to know this book by heart. So if you were going to be appointed as king, I hope you had a good memory. And they generally did those days because a lot more was memorized. But he had to know it by heart in order to rule wisely. And so each new king was instructed by God himself in Deuteronomy 17, verse 18 to 19, to write for himself on a scroll, a copy of this law. And it had to be with him. He had to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to fear the Lord, your, his God, by keeping all the words of his law and by doing them. So he had to write out his own copy. And so that's a little bit of the introduction to the book of Deuteronomy. Now why study it? And I'm going to expand on this next time. Just three points. Why do we study this book in the Old Testament? Many people don't bother to go here anymore. They just stick in the new. Why do we do it? Because it's part of God's revealed words to us. We just can't pick and choose what we want to read in God's word and what we don't want to read. We either read all of it or none of it. We read God's word in totality. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 
Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's a theme again, Deuteronomy. So that's why we're going to study it as a church. Romans 15 verse 4, if that wasn't enough for you, here's another verse. Apostle Paul. For whatever was written in former days, does that fall, Deuteronomy fall in whatever was written in former days? It does. It was written for our instruction so that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so we need to read more of the Old Testament because it will give us hope. And that's why we're going to study this book. And then if that's not enough, I'll give you the perfect third one. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. This is what it says. And he humbled you, he's speaking about the nation, and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna, which you did not know. They didn't know what manna was. Nor did your fathers know, because God had never provided in this way for them, so that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Why do we study the book of Deuteronomy? Because it's come from the mouth of the Lord, and we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's why we study the book. Is that convincing enough? Three reasons? You need more? All right, we'll carry on. Secondly, like Israel, we too are people who fail in our obedience to God, right? Don't know about your lives, I know mine. We too fail, like Israel. We can't point the finger at them. They like us. They just wore different clothes. And they had to wander around in the desert. You don't. You see, and God teaches us the principles of humble living before Him. Turn to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6 to 8. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6 to 8. You'll notice if you've got good chapter headings here that it says this passage about idolatry. But he uses the example of the Israelites going through the desert. So I'm not going to go in there. All right? I want to cut to verse 6. Why did all these things happen? Why did they have to go through all these experiences in the desert? These things happened. Here it is, verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. Do you see that? We must learn from what the nation did. We must learn from their mistakes. Because God has said, it's so that I've given you those examples so that you might not desire evil as they did. And there's a second reason, verse 11 again. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. So we need to pay attention to the book of Deuteronomy. We need to learn from it. Thirdly and lastly, how do I then live a life which pleases God? And we're going to get the answer as we go through, but for short now, how do I live a life which pleases God and which also blesses my neighbor? And Moses gave his people this answer. Here it is. Trust God and his promises and obey him. I'm simplifying a lot here. God has done so much for you. Trust God, trust His promises, and then obey Him. Trust and obey. 
It's the same principle for you and I today, and we're going to sing the song right at the end of the service. But here's the verse, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 to 20. Look at what it says. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 to 20. And the section I want us to look at, I've put up here. I'm going to read the whole section. 30, verse 19 to 20. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. There was no stronger calling of witness. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. So as Moses wrote this law giving of his, he calls heaven and earth to be his witnesses, no stronger thing, that he has put before them the option of life and death, blessing or curses. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, and holding fast to Him. For He is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. So there's the promise God has made through Moses to them. And that same promise applies to us here. And there's the challenge to you and I this morning. As we go through God's Word, the book of Deuteronomy, He says to us, therefore, choose life. Yes, God works in us. Yes, He makes these things come alive in us. But in the end, we must choose life before Him. You can't blame God and say, I couldn't do this. You could, but you chose evil. Choose life. Why? So that you, it doesn't end there, by the way, our self-centered generation, so that you and your offspring may live. It has a flow-on effect in our families too. There's a generation in this country that do not know the gospel. Why? Because their parents were faithless. And a generation hasn't heard the gospel. You and your offspring. It will have an effect in your family if you do not bring God's word to your children. A generation can be lost. Choose life so that you and your offspring may live. May that be the legacy in your life. I gave them God's word. How do we do that? By loving the Lord your God. What is that? It's a response to what he's done to me and for me. I love the Lord your God. It's a heart thing. And because I love the Lord my God, I obey His voice. I'm not doing it because there's a rule to keep. I'm doing it because I love Him. I obey. Isn't that what we teach our children? Obey me because you love me. Not because I tell you. We obey Him because we love Him. And what do I do practically? And I hold fast to Him. And that means when the stuff of life comes against you, you hold fast to Him and His promises. Because your eyes and your ears and your senses will tell you one thing. It will tell you everything is piling in on me. You'll be in panic mode. He says, hold fast to me. Who am I? I'm the unchanging, all-knowing, all-powerful God. I've made you promises. I will keep those promises. I'm a promise-keeping God. Hold fast to Him. Why? Here it is. He is your life and length of days. He's the source of your life. 
He's the one that gives you the breath in your body. He's the one that makes your eyes open in the mornings. He is the source of your life. He's the length of your days. It's got nothing to do with all those medications you take. He is the source and the length of your days. When the Lord chooses to take your life away, it doesn't matter how many 15 tablets you're taking, you will die. Sorry to the surgeons and the doctors amongst us. God has the final say. He is your source of life. He is your length of days. So that you may dwell in the land. Not just during this life, but in the one to come. God perfectly with man. What an amazing story. It stretches right across history. From way back in the past to way into everlasting future. That's the book we're going to be studying. I hope you look forward to it. And please do that homework. That's the teaching. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you for all of your word given to us. And Lord, as we study this book of Deuteronomy, we pray that, we would, that you would show us the themes of life and blessing that come through this book. Because you are the unchanging God, the one who gave them these words. And a lot of those principles still apply to us now as we live in 2019. Lord, do your work amongst us. And may we speak to those around us of the blessing that is available in Jesus Christ, of the gospel message that he is the provision for true life. Lord, may we not keep quiet. May we be a blessing to our neighbors and our colleagues and those of our family who still do not know you. May we not keep quiet because then a generation could go without this blessing. We ask this in the great name of our Savior, the one who made this possible for us on the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen.